Be seated. Thanks so much for being here with us. I was, uh, we were singing that, and obviously we know that song. We, can't, we love that song because it kind of speaks to us about a dry season that our church has kind of been in. <laughs> and, uh, and now we feel like the Lord's doing something special. He's doing a new thing here, and we receive the blessing. But after last night, I'm like, Lord, I think we've had enough, you know, <laughs> of that kind of rain anyway. We'll take a little more of the other kind. But um, so glad that you're with us here at South City Church. The year was 1963, the date was August 28th, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous speech on the Washington Mall. Tens of thousands of people came. They came with a united vision to this place. They came to hear a speech, but you know, the speech really could have been given by a lot of different people. There were other civil rights leaders in America. There were other men and women who had suffered under pre-civil rights America. There were other great speakers, there were other people. And you know, Dr. King, he didn't just, he didn't just want us to, to know about equality or fairness or justice. You see, his vision, his message, and his entire life, they kind of converged on this moment. August 28th, when he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And it'll be forever ingrained in our national history and memory. Dr. King did something nobody else could do. He didn't just talk about the what needed to happen or the how of how it was going to happen. He talked about the why it needed to happen. See, he didn't just change America and the world, really, for that matter, for a minority. And for the better of that minority, he changed all of our lives for the better. We're a better country because of his willingness to bring into the light the darkness of our hearts, the shadows of a majority into the light for the help and the hope of a minority. We're in this series called The Why. And I mention that story because, you know, it would have been one thing just to, to go after civil rights, go after uh, what had been broken and try and make them right. It, it would have been one thing. But what Dr. King did is help us understand the reason why. He inspired us. He inspired us. This is our second week in our series called The Why. Last week, like uh, Larry and Jerry, both, Larry and Jerry, I like to use those two together. It just makes me happy. Larry and Jerry both mentioned uh, that we're in this Why series on uh, our vision statement. Do you remember what the Why is? Didn't know you were going to be tested on this, did you? The why of the church is this, the great commission of Jesus Christ. See, the what and the how, those things are secondary. What matters most about our church and every church is the why. Why do we get up in the morning? Why do we do what we do? Every single thing we do as a church, a South City church, ought to be filtered behind why we do what we do. And why we do what we do and everything we do, every penny we spend, every message we preach, every song we sing, ought to be filtered with the why of making disciples, right? Baptizing them, 
teaching them all the things that Jesus taught us, the great commission of the church. And so we're in this series trying to learn what does it mean to have a culture at South City Church uh, that helps us facilitate the why. So what we're doing is kind of going through our, our vision statement. We're going to do it again. I'm sure you've all got it memorized by now, right? You had your, your, your chance last week to learn it. But let's read it again together, okay, just in case some of you are, are struggling with memorizing that just yet. Let's read it again together, can we? Here we go. Is it up here? South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. I think you can do it one more time. Here we go. South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. Uh, it sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful. What does it mean to love God and all people? Because that's going to be the focus of our conversation this morning. Last week I did something to you. I did a little bit of a to be continued sort of a thing. And I want to continue it. Today. I used to hate that in, in uh, television shows where they do that. You'd have to wait all week to find out what happened. Well, we kind of did that last week with this passage from Mark. But today we're going to finish. We're going to complete this passage. And the reality is the passage is not complete until you read both parts. Let's read it together uh, or at least follow along here on the screen as I read it before you. Mark 12, 28 through 30, it says this. And one of the scribes came up, hearing them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, speaking of Jesus. He asked him, which commandment is most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and second commandment of importance, according to Jesus, right? He's saying number one and number two. Of all these commandments, these, this is number one and number two in importance. This is a big deal. If he thought they were important, I think South City Church ought to think they're important. What do you think? Amen. That's right. They're important to him. They're important to us. You know, there's an old joke. <laughs> I know you've heard it. It says, church would be perfect if it just weren't for the people. <laughs> if you haven't heard that, uh, maybe it's just in ministry circles. A lot of pastors say it. Ministry would be perfect. I think I heard it from, no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> ministry would be perfect if it weren't for all the people. See, now the irony here is this. This is not the church. The people are the church, right? The people are the church. You're the church. We're the church. But there's some truth in this statement. See, the problem is it's difficult <laughs> to love people. It's hard enough to love God. It's hard enough to live for and love and live out a love for Jesus. It's actually, I think, sometimes much harder to love people. Just as Brother Jerry was saying, they, they let you down. You can be disappointed. Here's the reality. People are messy. People are broken. People will hurt you, and yet Jesus has commanded us to love them. We see in this passage uh, that Jesus is quoting, he's quoting it from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, we see that loving people, it's only second to loving God. 
And we, we know this rule kind of as, as what rule? What do we call this? The golden rule, right? We, kind of, we teach our kids. In fact, people who are not even believers or even know that this comes from Scripture, they kind of try to make this part of our lifestyle, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? That's called the golden rule. It's the way we refer it. I think it kind of means something like treat other people the way you'd have them treat you, right? Or do for them what you would want someone to do for you. But this is, this, is a, this is a difficult thing. This is hard. This is not an easy task. It takes intentionality and it takes sacrifice because the reality is some of us don't, we don't really care for ourselves all that well. How are we going to care for somebody else if we don't even care for ourselves? Jesus did something in his ministry that I think is very interesting. <laughs> we see it in the Sermon on the Mount and we see it again here in just a minute. I'll show you this. But on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took some commandments and he took it up a notch. He took it up a notch. So he said, hey, you know what? The commandment said, thou shalt not commit murder, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes it up a notch. He says, hey, if you hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Or he says, hey, you know what? The commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery, and Jesus takes it up a notch, doesn't he? And he says, hey, you know what? If you lust in your heart for a woman, you've committed adultery. He's, he's ratcheting up a notch, helping people see you can't do this on your own. You can't do this. He does it again here in John 13, verse 34. I want to look at this. It's on the screen here. A new commandment. Now, just stop right there. <laughs> when, when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, first of all, he's saying, I can give commandments. Do you hear that? He's saying, I'm the one that can give you commandments, and this is a new one. So perk your ears and your heart up and listen. A new commandment that I'm giving you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, then he kind of clarifies what that means a little further down here in John 15, verse 12, when he says, he reminds the disciples, hey, this is my commandment. Remember the new commandment I gave you, he says, you know, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he qualifies it and says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So again, in a beautiful way, the author is kind of foreshadowing what's about to happen. I'm about to define what it means to love people, guys. When you lay down your life for your friends. That's what he's saying. How has Jesus loved us? Huh? He's, he's died for us. He's given his, his very life for us. He valued our lives over his own. Right? Is that how you love people? Is that how I love people? Do I value their lives over my own? Am I willing to sacrifice my desires, my preferences, my wants, my things, right? And, and, and value them over me. Am I willing to do that? <laughs> See, just treating them the way I wanted to be treated was not enough. Jesus took it up a notch. It's not just fairness. It's not just uh, equality, right? It's no. Give your very life. For someone else if you had a 
Did you get these this morning? Maybe more of you did this week. Okay, good. Sorry about that. On the back, there's some notes. If you want to take some notes, here's the first, here's the first fill in, okay? Loving others is the evidence of loving God. When people see in your life your willingness to truly love other people, it shows them that you know God. It shows them that you have, you, you have a capacity in you that's foreign to the world. You, you're doing something that's different. You're loving people. When you do that really well, you're showing evidence that you love and know God. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read different verses here, starting with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love God his brother. John is saying this right here. If you don't love others, you don't know God. It's real simple. If you love other people, it's the evidence that you know God. If you don't love people, maybe even worse, if you have a hatred for someone, it's obvious. It's the evidence that you don't know God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Loving people is not an option for us. It's not an option that the Christian can take. Well, I think I'll, I'll take the salvation part. I'll take the fellowship part. I'm just not going to do the loving other people. I'm not into that. Nope. We don't have that luxury, do we? We have to love people. 1 John 3.14 says this. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Listen, he's saying... We know that we've come out of the death of sin and the grave and brokenness of our lives into light, into the life of Jesus when we love. That's how we know. Loving people is not an option. Listen, there are groups, there are hate groups. The KKK, I think about Westboro Baptist Church, saddens me that, that if you know who I'm talking about, you've seen them in the news. These are these, ISIS these are people who have hate groups. Listen here. If anyone says that they know God and then turn around and then they say they hate somebody, they don't know God, do they? Not according to Scripture. They can say all day what they think they believe, but their proof is in the pudding, right? They do not know or love God. 1 John 2 verse 9 says this, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I bet you know some people whose eyes have been blinded by darkness. I don't know what it is. Maybe you came up with a certain understanding about a certain group of people. Certain belief your family had or whatever the case may be. Listen, you're no different than the disciples we're going to see here in just a minute. And when Jesus came in and said, not an option for the believer of Jesus, they had to change. And we do too. We do too. (laughs) Our uh, vision statement says, South City Church exists to love God. And I don't know if if you've noticed this or not, but it says, and all. And you notice it's all capitalized? There's a reason for that. I want to denote that our church needs to stand and believe in the truth of that statement. We're going to love God, and I, and I want you to even say it and read it like this. We, want, we exist to love God and all people. Because I want us to tell our own hearts, and I want to put it out in front of us that we will love all people. Here's the deal, though. We, have, we all have issues when loving people. And I want to have a really honest conversation this morning if we can. There's seven things that I see that are issues when it comes to loving people. The first one's a difficult conversation, but one we have to have because we want to know Jesus. And as we see in his word, it's not an option to not love and to be brothers and sisters in Christ. The first issue is this, racial differences. Racial differences. Some of the subcategories of racial differences are this, prejudice, maybe other nationalism. You see somebody in a burqa and, oh, oh gosh, they're in a burqa, they're, in a, they're Muslim, they're whatever the case may be. Maybe it's just your neighbor votes different, differently than you. There's other little subcategories of what prejudice can look like. But I want us to focus for a moment here on racial difference. Now listen, this is not just a historic issue for our city, for our country. It's, it's even historic for me. My mom was a senior at Central High School in 1957 when Little Rock went through the crisis crisis. And and I've traveled around the world and around the country, and I've had people say, oh yeah, Little Rock, yeah. That's where the thing happened with, I'm like, yeah. It's not a good thing to be known for. It's not a good thing to be remembered for. And I mourn, my heart mourns that this is what our city, in many ways, is known for. It's not just a historic issue for our city, It's a current issue for our city. It's a current issue for the Big C Church, and it's a current issue for South City Church. We have to be aware. We have to be uh, willing to be obedient to Jesus and to love all people. A lot of of years ago, (laughs) um, I was serving at a church. I was a music and youth pastor at a church. I'll never forget this. I loved, play, I loved playing basketball, and uh, that was a big part of my youth ministry. I'd play ball with the kids, neighborhood kids. Man, we had white kids, we had black kids, we had Latino kids, we had kids from the neighborhood coming out and playing ball. It was awesome. And they began to hang out with me. Well, they began to hang out with me, they began to hear about Jesus. We began to tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus, and these kids began to get saved. It was awesome. God was doing a, a work in our church, in our youth group. And one Sunday, I was standing towards the front, you know, of this church. 
and letting everybody go and shaking hands and saying hello and goodbye and everything. And there weren't very many people in the church, and I noticed the chairman of the deacons kind of came around my side here. And kind of, he's getting a little close. I didn't know what was, I knew he didn't like me in the first place. But he came to me, he grabbed me by the lapels of my suit, and he pushed me up against the wall. He stuck his arm in my throat, and he put his finger in my face. And he said, if you continue to bring those inwards into this church, I will kill you. Chairman of the deacons. Well, I'm not a small person. I was young then, and I was scared to death, and my heart was shaking. But in the confidence of Jesus, I took him by his lapel. <laughs> and I set him down, and I said, sir, you do what you have to do. I'm going to do what I have to do. And that's tell people about Jesus. <laughs> Lori and I were newly married. It still just has such an effect on my heart. Um, it was in the afternoon, and I remember hearing on my front door. And I thought, okay, God, let's see if I'm willing to take this all the way. And I told Lori, you remember this? I said, go get in the closet. And she went and hid in the closet. And I went to the front door. And I opened the front door. And it wasn't him. <laughs> Praise God, it wasn't him. <laughs> it was the pastor. And the pastor wanted to talk about the situation. And Listen, this is an issue for the church. This is an issue for each of our hearts. That we continue, continually preach to ourselves this, listen, this is, not a this is not a racial issue, it's a gospel issue. We continue to preach to ourselves that we're to love all people. Here's a sad reality, this church has not always been welcoming to all races. I heard a story this past week that truly broke my heart about our church from about 25 years ago. It really saddened me. And praise God, God's doing a new work. Why is it that, we say this, you've heard this, why is it that 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in all the week in our country? Right? Why? Maybe because we think it's easier just not have to put up with the difficulty of loving each other well. That's what God's called us to. I want, I want to show you a couple of things this morning that are very interesting. Heaven, we say this, you've heard this, heaven will, will not be a segregated place right we're going to all worship together look at this in revelation in seven chapter seven verse nine i love this it says after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb you see, the chairman of the deacons, salvation does not belong to him. And he didn't get to pick and choose who, sal who got salvation, did he? It doesn't belong to us. What does it say? Who does it belong to? Our God. Salvation belongs to our God. And it says, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing and worshiping our great God. And listen. That's sort of the end of the, kind of the, not the end, but you know, the ending portion of the church, so to speak. 
Well, what about the beginning portion of the church? Let's take a look at that, can we? Because when Paul was planting churches and the, the early church was being established, Paul would go into a city. He would find out where the Gentiles would hang out, right? Parthenon, different places, Acropolis. He'd find these places and he would go and preach Jesus to the Gentiles. They would get saved. And then he would go find out the Jews there in the synagogues. He would go over to the synagogues and he would preach Jesus in the synagogues. But you know what's interesting that Paul did not do? He didn't set up a Jewish church for Jesus and a Gentile church for Jesus, did he? No. He set up one church. And he said, you know what? You're going to have to figure it out. And so we see in Scripture him dealing with cultural issues, even issues of things that they're having to eat. This is, this is difficult, but Paul didn't, he didn't make it that easy. He said, figure it out. Love one another. And in one of the most beautiful scriptures that Paul has given us in Ephesians, we see this, Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off, that's us, that's, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Do you hear the gravity of what is in this passage? Do you hear the, the beautiful description of what Jesus has done for us? Listen to a few of these themes. He is our peace. He's made us one, right? He's broken down the wall of hostility. He is creating in himself one new man in place of two. He's making us one body through the cross, killing, he says this phrase again, killing the hostility. Listen, our race matters because God gave it to us. Our cultures, the different cultures, they matter. And, and you know what? We should learn from each other. We should value each other and the beautiful gifts in, that are in all of us. But it's all secondary, secondary to being one in Jesus. It's all secondary. He's creating one man, a Christian man, right? There's a, uh, an amazing story, and I, and I challenge you to read this when you go home later. It's a long story. It's, it's in uh, Acts 10 and the first part of Acts 11, but I love it. And I'll just, I'm going to try and paraphrase a little bit of it for you because I wanted you to know it, but 
Um, there's this man, he's a Roman centurion. He's in Caesarea, and he's a godly man. He loves God, he gives to the poor, he does good things, and he's, he's praying, God gives him a vision. He says, he says uh, Cornelius is his name, he says, send some of your men, so he's a powerful man, he's got men to send somewhere, right? So he's got power, he's got men underneath his uh, leadership. He says, send some of your men to this man named Simon, also called Peter. He's in Joppa, what today is uh, current day Tel Aviv. He says, go, and you'll find him at a man named Simon, he's a tanner. Go find, go find him and bring him back and have him tell you all the things that he's telling people. So he sends men. Well, listen, while he's, those men are being sent to this house that Peter's staying in, Peter goes up on this friend's house to the roof to pray. And as he's praying, he calls it a trance. He goes into this trance vision type thing, and the Lord shows him these different animals, birds and reptiles, things that are normally unclean according to Jewish law, but God's showing them these things. And he says, Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, by no means, Lord. I, could, I would never put something unclean in my mouth and God says, don't call what I've given you to bless you with something common or unclean when I've told you it's not. And he shows him this vision three times. Well, he also shows him at the very end of the dream, those guys are downstairs. It's just amazing. Isn't this incredible? He shows him, hey, there's some men downstairs looking for you. Just go with them. So Peter comes out of his trance, his vision, goes downstairs, says, I guess you're the guys that were, yeah, it's craziness. He goes with them back to Cornelius' house. Cornelius says, tells him the story. Peter tells him his story. And he says, before he even really gets into the house, Peter goes, hey, hey um, you know this is a big deal. <laughs> uh, Jews are not supposed to step foot in uh, someone from another nation, another culture. We're not supposed to be in your home. We're not supposed to fellowship or visit. We're not supposed to hang out here together. So I want you to understand for me to come in here is a big deal. And it didn't even feel right to Peter because of his culture. But Peter had been shown by God that this was his will. And so Peter comes into the home and preaches Jesus to that family. And this beautiful moment happens. They accept Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls in that place. And Peter steps back like in awe, taken aback. And he says, clearly, God shows no partiality clearly God shows no partiality and he says does anybody give me a reason why we don't find some water and baptize these folks they're like no so they go and they they baptize all of them a little bit later in verse in chapter 11 Peter comes before the committee the Jewish committee and they're going hey what did you, you went into somebody's home that's not you know and Peter has to explain the vision here's the beautiful thing Peter accepted the vision and the will of God and entered into it even when it was uncomfortable. And here's another beautiful part. It wasn't just Peter. He got in front of that committee and they said, wait, wait, wait. They didn't understand. It didn't fit the culture. And Peter said, let me tell you about the vision. And let me tell you about Cornelius. And let me tell you what God did in that house. And as he told, the committee said, if God did that, clearly he shows no partiality. Praise God. And they celebrated what God had done. They, too, put their culture secondary to the work of God. It's what we have to do. 
It's what we have to do. Listen, make no mistake this morning. It is God's will that in his church everyone is welcomed. And every race and every culture be free to worship the Savior here. At South City Church, we will love all people. Amen? All right, I know I'm going long. I want to just run down some of these other issues here, okay? Here's the second issue, socioeconomic issues. It's a big deal. Hey, where do you live? Where do you live? Where do your kids go to school? How does someone dress? Maybe someone's needs are different than your needs. They look a lot different. It's okay. Or your work situation, maybe you're white collar and somebody's blue collar. Who cares? Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, isn't it? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been or, or where you're from, or how great your need, Jesus meets us all at the same place. Here's the next issue, different church backgrounds. Many of us come from different church backgrounds. Some people are going to um, raise their hands when they worship. Some people are not. Some people are going to clap and talk back, and others just won't, right? Some crazy people are going to wear jeans to church. <laughs> and some people are going to wear suits. Is that okay? Of course. Of course it's okay. I got to tell you this quick little story. I wouldn't plan on telling you this. I, I happened to go to uh, South Africa one time with Benny Hinn. Yeah, it's, it, it's a crazy story. But anyway, the uh, fun, the fun, well, it wasn't fun in the moment, but I was on stage ready to lead 30,000 people in worship. And it was beautiful. We were in the Nelson Mandela Prince, uh, Municipality Track and Field Complex in Elizabeth, Port Elizabeth, South Africa. And I'm standing back there, got the microphone, ready to go lead worship. I'm so excited to lead everyone in worship. And he turns around and he goes, uh, what are you wearing? Yeah, what are you wearing? Look like you just came off the street. Of course, he's got a suit or some whatever that onesie is that he, has, he wears. And he's, he, he says... What, you know, he says, you look like you just came off the street. He said, we need to find you. He said, where are my boys? And all of a sudden, this, like, 15 or 20 guys come up on stage and stand, and they've all got three-piece suits. And I, I came, th honestly, I came this close to saying, Pastor, um, you remember that little story? We were taught in Old Testament that says, God looks at the heart, that men look at the outward appearance. I came this close. I didn't do it because I would probably been fired right then. But I wanted to do it. It doesn't matter what we wear. What matters is the condition of our hearts. Right? We're going to have people from different church backgrounds. Here's the next issue. We're going to have former relational issues. Well, I, I just know that when he came by me, he didn't say hello. And evidently, he hates me. <laughs> he didn't even look at me. He was wearing jeans. That's awful. Listen, can I encourage us, church, to do this? Can I encourage us to forgive? We're all broken people. Can we please, can I plead with you for a moment? 
Can we please live under Matthew 18? And if you have a problem with anyone, would you please go to that brother and reason with them because you love them and forgive them? And please don't create some sort of false narrative about that person. Do you know what I mean when I say that? You make up in your mind, you think somebody said something or maybe they did and it hurt your feelings and then you make up a whole movie, right? A few movies about their condition or their heart. No, we can't do that. What about the good narrative? Well, I just know he's busy. How about, I don't ever hear, I hear those very much, right? Let's create a, a good narrative for people. Let's, let's love people and let's act in obedience, even in Matthew 18, when we have need. Here's the next issue, special needs. People who have special needs are difficult to love. And we may have to spend more money on our facilities for bathrooms or for classrooms, or I don't know. We may have to use more volunteer help. Certain people with autism need one volunteer per child, per week, maybe two. And we're, we're kind of low on volunteers anyway. But you know what? We will pay the price. And we will help and we will encourage and we will prepare and we will love. Here's another category or issue. Sinners. Now listen. <laughs> the reality is I'm looking at a room full of them. And I saw one ugly one in the mirror this morning. But here's the deal. What about people? And maybe even at church, they, you come up to somebody and you smell alcohol on their breath. Or you see a couple and you just know, I know they're living together. So I'm going to just, I know I have a, a judgment in my mind or my heart. Or what if a gay couple came and sat in our church? Or someone who's transgender came and sat in our church? Do they need Jesus? Do we need Jesus? Is this a good place for them to hear about him? Then let's welcome them with open arms. I'm not saying we're going to welcome their sin. We're not saying we're going to allow them to continue to walk with us and, and walk in sin. We're saying we love you and we're equal to you and that we're sinners and we're broken. And you're welcome here with other broken sinners. And by God's grace, he's changing every one of us. Amen? By the way, we had a transgender men, man come to our food pantry a month or six weeks ago. And uh, I pray that he walked out of our chapel with an armful of groceries knowing he's loved and valued so that Jesus might do a work in his heart and his life. Matthew 5, 46 says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anybody else, than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Listen, it's easy to love people we know. People who look like us, people who live around us, it's easy. God expects something more from us. Are we, are we willing to allow our love for people to be greater than our judgment of them? Why don't you sit in that just for a second? Are we willing to allow our love for all people to be greater than our judgment of them? I pray that we will.
Here's the last issue, each other. <laughs> There's a tough one. It's not quite as provocative maybe as these other ones. But we have to commit, family. Listen, we have to commit to walk out life with one another. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to care and serve for one another. We have to pray for each other. And the hard truth is this. People are messy. It takes sacrifice. It requires that we acknowledge, each one of us, that we need love. Every one of us is, is created with a need for love. And so when you see someone who looks like they need some, move toward them to love. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Even while we were yet sinners, right? That's what Jesus did for us. Christ first loved us and gave his life for us. Loving, loving other people can't be done with an expectation either. We can't have some ulterior motive or that there's going to be something given in return. No, that's not what Christ did. He paid for our sin. We don't work for it. It's a free gift, Ephesians tells us, right? So we offer love freely because that's what Jesus has done for us. And listen, we love people because Christ has commanded it. We want to be obedient. We want to be obedient. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When we're obedient, when we're obedient, we love. We love people as ambassadors of Christ. We represent him. What kind of God are you representing? Is it an unconditionally loving God? We have to love people missionally. In other words, when they see us, our love has to speak for his love for them, even through the cross. People have to be so blown away. How does, they just treat us so well. They just care for us. When we have needs, they're there. They're giving us food. They're coming to check on our kids. They, they tell us they're praying for us. We have to love in a way that's missional. That our love Listen, listen to what he said in 1 John 4.12. I said it already. His love is perfected through us. How else will the world know our great God unless his love is perfected through us? And I'm closing right now. One of my favorite authors is, is C.S. Lewis. He has a book called The Four Loves. I want to read a quote. And we're going to put it on the screen for you to, to read and, and to think through. As we're challenged to love this morning says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, airless. It will change. It will not be broken. It will not become, I'm sorry, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. So often we want to protect our hearts and we're just afraid to take the risk. And I promise you there is a risk to love. And I would even take it up a notch. It's not that our hearts will be wrung and possibly broken. I think they will be. South City Church exists to love God and all people. How well are you loving God and people? First two commandments of importance, according to Jesus. Are there some of these issues I mentioned this morning that you need to take to the cross? 
Is there something in this list that God has pricked your heart and you say, I'm still struggling right there. I'm dealing with something right here. If the Holy Spirit has illuminated something in your soul and your spirit, don't quickly move away from it. Just take a moment and process that with him. Would you do that? Are there some people, maybe even in this room or in your life, that you need to ask forgiveness from? Would you humble yourself and do that? And are there some judgments? Hmm. Are there some judgments you need to just let go? Because, listen, you're not the judge. We think we are sometimes. I'm going to read this and we're going to be done. Paul speaking to the church, a messy church, by the way, church at Corinth. He says in uh, chapter 12, he talks about all the different parts of the body that make us unique and different and a blessing to each other. It's a really beautiful chapter, verse 12, chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, he says, oh, friends, but this is the most excellent way. Now, we use this scripture in weddings a lot. It's good, beautiful. But I want you to know it was written to you. It was written to the church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Some of your Bibles may say love never fails. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, thank you for this time in your word. God, thank you that you've made it so clear to our church and to us as Christ followers that the most important thing that we can do as yours is to love you and that a part of loving you is loving people. And God, I know that if this is complicated, I know that there may be feelings and differences that run deep there may be generations of generational sin that have caused us to think something about somebody else. But God, may we put that down in the name of Jesus and pick up the word of God and be changed by it so that we may be obedient to love you and all people. Lord, I pray that when anyone walks in this room, when anyone meets any of our people, God, that they would feel in their soul that they are loved, they are valued, they are accepted, they are cared for. And Lord, by your grace, will you allow us to help lead them, move them toward your cross and a life in you. Jesus, only you can do that. Would you do it? A vision is something we put in front of us. It may not be something that we're doing perfectly right now, but God, 
we put in front of us a desire to be the people you want us to be. Loving you. And as we love you, that your love is perfected through us to other people. We bless you today. Do a work in our hearts, even as we sing or as we contemplate what your spirit is doing in us. Help us to be obedient to you right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.